immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 94, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell, and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica. How are you? And Happy New Year to all of our listeners. Welcome back. Hello, Oliver. Happy New Year to you too. We'll be back with more episodes with some news and updates in the coming weeks. Looking forward to bringing you more immersive audio podcasts for this year. We're kicking off our first episode of 2024. Yeah, let's get started. Let's crack on with the interview. Our guest today, John Johnson. JJ has nearly two decades of experience supplying and supporting audiovisual equipment for post-production facilities, broadcasters, and music studios worldwide, managing the pre-sales, training, and technical support teams at HHB Communications. His focus on technology includes assisting the widespread adoption of immersive audio, such as Dolby Atmos and Apple Spatial Audio, and various implementations of audiovisual over IP solutions, predominantly based on Odinate, Dante platform. JJ, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Oliver. Hey, Monica. Thanks for having me. Hello. For our audience, can you give a little bit more about your background and really how you got into audio industry and subsequently joined HHB Communications? I have to cast my mind back a little bit because it's been a while. Um, I I started uh, more in the kind of live music and performance side, um, guitarist by trade previously and, um, and was uh, running my own little PA hire um, for kind of local bands, DJs, uh, weddings, birthdays, events, that sort of stuff. Um, and I studied a, uh, a BTEC in music technology at uh, Richmond upon Thames College in London. And um, at that stage, it was great because uh, already at kind of high school level, I was just focusing on uh, on music tech kind of all day, every day. Um, and and that's where I really could kind of hone my passion and skills and and um, that then led to a work experience, um, a series of work experiences and some summer work. At, um, I was working at a company called Delta Sound, who uh, are now actually part of Acoustics and um, do uh, sort of PA hire and, and event work. Um, and then ended up um, looking at university uh, options and, uh, and separately also looking at um, kind of employment options. And, uh, and HHB um, was really my first kind of full-time job, and that was uh, 17 and a half years ago. Brilliant. Well, speaking of HHB, HHB is quite an old company. Uh, can you tell a little bit more about its history and what you guys mainly do these days? Because I understand the company has evolved in terms of the types of services it provided over the years. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so HHB was founded in uh, 1976 by uh, our still managing director, Ian Jones. Um, that was um, actually based around um, PA hire as well. Um, so HHB was uh, the half human band. That was where the name came from. Um, and they got into sort of hiring PA out to other acts that they're working with and, and the venues that they toured around. Um, 
and that led to becoming a reseller and later distributor for for many um, many different audio products and, and brands. Um, so kind of fast forward to the nineties and uh, HHB were really at the forefront of the kind of digital switchover for recording studios and recording technologies. Um, at the time, we were manufacturing um, uh, DAT and then later uh, Minidisc. Prior to that, a number of technologies that were a little before my time. And so, yeah, HHB's kind of evolved through that that digital switch and now really been at the, the forefront of the um, immersive kind of takeover, which which really feels like it's been gaining momentum for probably the last 10 years or so. So can you talk a little bit about your role at HHB and the range of projects you typically manage that involve spatial audio system installations? So my role's a bit interesting in that it kind of, it's uh, multifaceted. So um, I manage the technical support department, which uh, is a team of six um, who have a crossover between kind of pre-sales and um, technical consultancy um, room design and, and system design and workflow um, right the way through to the physical uh, sort of execution of the the installation, the commissioning, the uh, calibration of systems, which is so important uh, in, in multi-channel systems. And so the, the projects really range from um, individuals, freelancers um, and immersive home studios or, or even, you know, stereo, um, to be fair. Um, right the way through um, major broadcasters, recording studios, uh, educational facilities and research facilities, um, predominantly in the UK, but, but also further afield. Our hot topic today is building a studio with a multi-channel sound system. So... More and more, we see spatial audio becoming somewhat of a standard across many fields within the larger audio industry. As a result, we see wide-scale conversion where work environments being upgraded to support those workflows, mainly in the software domain, but also the speaker systems in the studio. And this is exactly what we're going to talk about today. Can we start by mapping the range of studio installs you've worked on over the years from large scale studios, post facilities, broadcasters, kind of high-end environments and if you will, um, large operators to a smaller boutique bespoke production spaces for music and, and post-production and so on. When I first started at HHBO's, um I was based out of the scrub office predominantly, uh, which is very post-production focused. And we were supporting a, a wide number of uh, stereo environments. The 5.1 was really becoming the, the trend, I would say. Broadcasters like Sky um, really pushed the demand for multi-channel work, as well as um, supporting um, studios which did theatrical mixing or um, commercials and trailers for cinema um, where we had uh, an amount of sort of 5.1 and 7.1 uh, environments that we were installing and supporting. And that's really just the, the demand for that has grown over the years um, to the point at which, you know, you, your individual studios um, could could well 
Uh, I'll give an example. We, we've been dealing with a company called Vaudeville for, well, as long as I've known. So, well, yeah, 17 plus years. It was pretty much a, a one-man band, a guy called Dan Jones. And uh, that grew into two rooms, three, four. I think there are probably 30 plus rooms across uh, multiple continents now as as that work has grown. And, um, and we've seen clients um, crossing different disciplines as well. So them as an example um, was predominantly uh, TV, comedy, drama and, um, and factual stuff. Um, grew into more advertising bits in some locations, more podcast focused in others. And now a number of their studios, uh, you know, five one was kind of their real demand and plan for for the initial days. But um, they now have Atmos um, across yeah, again. Um, you know, they've got Atmos rooms in America, in in London, in Canada, and and further afield. Our client base has um, grown. You know, the big have gotten bigger. The the middle ground over the years have suffered with um, various kind of wider world and financial bits um, and uh, recession more more recently covid changed how a lot of people um, use their their audio nows and um, maybe diversified into other fields so um, we we saw a trend of a lot of um, very experienced live sound engineers um, where there wasn't the opportunity for live events getting more into post-produced immersive audio um, that kind of really happened around the eruption of um, sort of Dolby Atmos music, um, which, you know, the, the home entertainment side had been a, a big growth for, um, you know, your, your streamers, your Netflix, your Amazon, your, your Apple kind of stuff. But then it was just a whole new uh, reinvigoration of clients that HHB on a music side have have dealt with and, and supported for decades. But um, suddenly we were getting a lot of, input from music studios who were being requested to deliver um, immersive mixing and you know for Tidal for Apple Music for Amazon as well so it's um it was interesting that what four or five years years ago we were um, dealing with the streamers and and getting kind of the immersive audio to be the pairing with the high definition and, and high dynamic range picture and and now it's really just exploded in the music space and and then more recently i think education uh, has been massive um the the grants that are available and, and and also the um requirement really for educational institutions to be up to date with the the latest technologies and, and immersive is a is a huge tick box for if students are, or prospective students are, are looking at what facilities um those colleges and universities have available what is your thought process behind assessing the client's needs and offering bespoke solutions? Can you describe a full process so audience can get detailed insights from initial consultation to the final tuning touches? Um, yeah, absolutely. We we kind of um, we can come into a project at varying stages of um, decisions having been already made or not, and uh, sometimes there are. Well, there's always constraints and there's always going to be um, things we have to work around. Um, kind of your typical Soho environment um, is a great example of why the um, the Dolby specifications and, and guidelines have to have a degree of flexibility in there because there is no perfect um, audio environment. Um, just getting 5.1 into a space... Um, can lead to some issues, but there was there was a lot more scope in five one when you're dealing with immersive 
generally you're dealing with somewhere in the region of a dozen or more speakers. And that leads to obviously doors, windows, light switches, um, fire sensors, all manner of things. Um, and that's before you get into the plant and aircon and, and other more substantial bits. And ceiling height is a really tricky one to, to work around because it's, it's the sort of thing you really can't change uh, in many cases. Optimally, we'd be in at the beginning and talking with um, an acoustician and um, we'd have a greenfield site with flexible size of walls and a nice high ceiling. But uh, the reality is most of the time we're, we're working with a space that already exists and we're uplifting it. Um, so the first thing we tend to do um, is determine what speakers um, the client is interested in because speakers are so subjective. And if you've already got a stereo system or a 5.1, often you want to augment that and, and build with what you have rather than starting fresh. And, and we deal with so many different loudspeaker manufacturers. Um, I, I can't really think of many that we haven't done an immersive installation with. Um, that said, if, if someone doesn't have a preference, uh, we do tend to go down the Genelec route. Um, sort of full transparency, our, our sister company is the, the UK distributor, but but that means we're we're quite clued up on the range and it means that we have um, good access to the um, to the products when uh, when people are more often than not dealing with quite short turnarounds of wanting to achieve these projects. Then looking at the room, uh, it's it's measuring up, uh, it's it's getting on site, it's establishing, you know, sometimes you walk into a facility and they're, and they're looking at with three or four rooms and uh, trying to work out which one is going to be the best candidate for, for doing that upgrade um, because of the nature of where speakers generally need to be um, mounted. So we, we tend to go in with a combination of a laser measure just to get the, the physical room dimensions and, and map out any key obstacles, doors, windows, etc. Um, and, a, and a 360 laser has been our our biggest um, tool that that has been able to really help us visualize alongside the client where those speakers ideally would be positioned. And that's whether it's a uh, an ambisonics playback environment or a, a Dolby Atmos or or just a 5.1, um, being able to put a laser in the ideal or there or thereabouts mix position and then turn to to the sort of 100 degree angle and look at where the side surrounds need to land and, and then look back towards the 135 and and <laughs> and a sticker book. We genuinely just having a sticker that you can place in order to give the client, right, that's that's where the optimum position is and then here's five degrees either side or, or whatever the tolerance is for that given position in order to be able to walk in and really get what we think is is going to be achievable. Yeah, just from my personal experience, um, I, I can't stress enough how useful it's been for me just to come and uh, talk to you. Um, yeah, how, how do you refer to the facility in Soho where you've got the, the showroom scrub? Oh, okay, so Scrub is the the sort of office name, but it's um it we right. share it as the Genelec Experience Center. So so it's um it's a seven one four immersive um, playback environment with um, the three way coaxial speakers predominantly, um, but I think we've got over fifty five different speakers um, in, crammed into that room. Um, we went through a similar process for our for our own room. You know, we put this this place together I think eight years ago now um design wise and uh home entertainment atmos really wasn't a thing but um but when 
planning ahead or you know moving into a new environment um, we certainly always recommend to clients you know you, you don't necessarily need to invest in the in the loudspeakers day one but if you're going to be doing remedial works on the ceiling or, or refabricating the room or, or moving into a new building put the cables in you know it's so much cheaper to put the cables in day one and uh, and the patricing to mount the speakers and then later you're just adding the speakers you're not having to um, completely rip the room apart and start again so yeah the, the the Dolby Dart as well you know even for non-Dolby um, applications it's uh, it's a brilliant tool for being able to uh, so if people aren't familiar the the Dolby Audio Room Design Tool. Um, it's it's kind of an Excel spreadsheet um, with the ability to populate uh, room dimensions, mix position. Uh, there's drop downs for different speaker models. There's a whole plethora of different um, loudspeaker manufacturers and, and models in there, and it kind of gives you a traffic light system of how viable that speaker is when matched with the other speakers in that environment given the different distances and um, obvious sort of SPL requirements that you might be looking to hit. I just wanted to quickly share my personal experience. You know, it, it's been absolutely brilliant that I was able to come and visit your uh, showroom and essentially just listen to different configurations, different models of the speakers, and even beyond speakers, you know, the different multi-channel controllers and uh, interfaces and think through options. There's no perfect room or, you know, for a lot of people, it's a considerable investment and um, requires degree of thinking and assessing your needs versus your abilities um, to invest into a system and just being able to listen to some content, bring your own content. And you, you guys are quite brilliant at kind of being flexible and allowing your customers take advantage of that. But also, uh, I can't stress enough how useful the the technical consultation was when you might have a certain idea what you want but then speaking with more experienced engineers who do these kind of installations regularly um, might offer you a completely different perspective. And uh, before you know it, you you probably were wrong about the type of speakers you you want or actually need for the space and so on and so forth. So um, that just irons out all those potential pitfalls and uh, essentially Im improves the plan and the initial ideas you had and then you know all of that is completely free of charge before you commit to an actual project uh, i just wanted to highlight because i think it's a, a brilliant value that you guys are offering yeah cheers cheers we have a lot of clients that we have long-standing relationships with and, and they sort of trust us to really bring an honest opinion on it and, and we're not going to try and sell someone something that's not required in that environment and, and dolby i think to be fair I keep referring back to Dolby, but really for us as a the the most content that is produced, the most elegant tool set and the sort of um the delivery mechanisms really means that in the in, in the world that I spend a lot of time, they are the go-to. And that's not to say we don't have a huge amount in the the educational and research space that are doing Ambisonics and MPEG H and, and some of the more kind of open standards. But yeah, really with with that, the, the recommendation is we've generally worked with most of the, the technologies and, and know sort of the pros and cons of the different monitoring options that you might have. You said there's, you know, there's, there's a combination of hardware bits and software bits, and sometimes one is very viable and, and has a low barrier to entry in terms of cost, but will have some compromises versus uh, maybe some of the ergonomics of, of the day-to-day -day use. And then we also, we, we, honestly deal a lot with with recommendations from from people um because 
any operator, any client, any creative, any engineer is only going to be judged in many ways by their their previous experience and and um, what they've achieved recently. You know, are they keeping up the high standards? And that's really what we we aim to do. So we've got you know not just the long-standing relationships, but building new ones. And and like with people like yourself, you know, we met in what was it August AES Huddersfield. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say there was a visit to. The showroom a couple of years ago where I was sort of started to thinking about it. And then there was another visit with a bit more refined rough plan. And then, as you said, at the conference in Huddersfield, like we sat down and spoke extensively for like a good hour, if not longer. <laughs> it's easy to do on these topics, isn't it? Exactly. And that defined the plan. But then when Sean and Lucas came to do the technical consultation, everything's changed. We, you know, we knew that we wanted to do it, but it changed in the sense like what I thought what was going to be versus what actually needed to be. Um, and that was really, really essential. And not only from that point onwards, we, we knew what system it was going to be. So, yeah. No, that's that's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's all about iteration and refinement on these things. And um you know, sometimes um, there will be a physical constraint that that really needs some outside of the box thinking to to achieve it. Um, we did a, a room for Caroline at um, Universal Music, um, who's based out of Abbey Road, and we weren't uh, in a position where we could mount things um, to the structure in quite the way we would, we would have liked, ideally, and uh, ended up building an exoskeleton of sorts, like a roll cage um, that. Uh, enabled us to to get the speakers exactly in the in the positions that they needed to be in, and um, and sort of building a technique like that. The first time around, we then learned a lot that meant that we could achieve other things. When uh, we had a, a client down on the south coast uh, who was doing a, quite an interesting uh, immersive installation. It's a it's a it's quite a large room, and we put in I think seventeen loudspeakers and four subwoofers and that was again working around that same principle of of how to do the rigging and the, the kind of the physical installation because it needs to be safe it needs to be uh, in the right place or as close to spec as as is achievable but also aesthetics does come into that as well and um, so giving having the experience of so many different ways that it can be done can can help steer people in you know, down the down a path that's going to work. So, what are the current technologies and hardware brands that are leading kind of the revolution for spatial audio? Um, and what are I, I mean, even just some of your favorite products and solutions that you've leaned on in installations? That's a great question. Um, I would say, from a loudspeaker side of things, and not just wearing a Genelec hat, um, having flexible mounting options. And this is true of any loudspeaker because um, a lot of great sounding speakers that were initially designed in in kind of stereo applications aren't always the most practical when you come to um, install them on a ceiling, um, potentially soffit them or wall mount them or hang them off a, a truss. So yeah, mounting options is is so critical in that. And, uh, and so definitely we've done a, a lot of Genelec systems um, because they have so many different brackets and accessories um, that that work well and especially with the coaxial series uh, so the Genelec ones they've been brilliant because um, the the minimum listening distance is 
um, is very short. So in kind of ultra near field environments and you know that comes to the the low ceilings and so our our room has um slightly under the required ceiling height and to sort of steal a little bit extra with the um with the three ways we're we're able to um horizontally mount them instead of vertically oriented um and the sonic impact is very little so that's been brilliant and uh being able to mix and match different size of enclosure so um in this example being able to say Right, we've got 8331s overhead. We've got 8351s as our surrounds because we're pretty much equidistant um, in, in our sort of ear height speakers. Um, but you don't get a significant change in the kind of tonal characteristic, the the character of the speaker. The, it's very consistent. Um, so that's been really powerful. I think the, the DAD hardware, I have to say, um, Digital Audio Denmark uh, did a wonderful job on on kind of a... Um, design your own monitor system. There's there's plenty of options uh, and great options out there. Um, you know, the Grace M908 and uh, Trinov if you're in the sort of the, the upper echelon of, of cost and calibration. Um, calibration is what I would probably come come back to. It's you know it doesn't really matter too much what the loudspeaker is when we're dealing with that kind of professional level of speaker. They're all very good, um, but getting a dozen or more of them to play back consistently. Um, in a way that you can pan something around, above, below, and not have the the, the sound really alter as it moves, because that that takes you out of the, the immersion. That that doesn't allow you to s- sort of suspend the disbelief and, and really feel natural with the the pan movements. Actually, was was at um, the University of Greenwich recently, and um, they've got a fourth order ambisonics um, installation with um, many, many, I think it's 32, um, 8331s. And uh, some of what they'd recorded, processed and played back in that space was uh, was mind-blowing. It was really, really impressive. And and similar similar bits at um, Huddersfield with um, with Dr. Lee. You know, the, I think the, the educational space is really pushing the boundaries on, on what we can achieve. Curious, what are some of your favorite kind of interfaces um, and digital audio converters? Conversion's an interesting one because we've got so many loudspeakers um, with DSP. And at that stage, you're better off from a sonic perspective feeding them digitally so that they're only getting DA'd once rather than DAing it only to AD it in the speaker to process it a bit and DA it again to the amps. So um, in with that in mind, we've been doing a lot um, of the DAD um, Core 256 product. Um, because Thunderbolt is reasonably universal and it can achieve 256 channels of I.O., which it can also do at a very, very low latency. So to that extent, it's a really versatile box. It's got processing and it's got 256 channels of Dante on it as well. So um, we've done a number of those across um, live sound, people um, just wanting to plug in their Dante feed from front of house and or from stage boxes and be able to track everything live into Reaper and and just guarantee that they're going to capture everything. And we've done so much with Dante. It's been a bit of a game changer. You know, it's, it's not a new technology, but the adoption of it, particularly in post-production and, and uh, kind of pro audio space, aside from live sound where it really had been more established, I would say, 
that that really has been a game changer. And and now in the broadcast space, they've they've got the ability to um, do Dante via the cloud. So so their Dante Connect product um, allowing us to leverage a lot with um, sort of cloud based processing. Um, and uh, much as it doesn't seem it throwing loads of technology at stuff, but it's it's actually quite environmentally friendly by um, being able to be more efficient about where kit exists and um, and when it's on. You know the the sort of the power draw of um, of speakers and physical infrastructure is is something that is increasingly coming under the microscope for for looking after the environment. And so some of the other tech that can reduce the amount of boxes you're running or are more efficient with how they, um, you know, whether that's speakers that go to sleep when they're not in use or um, being able to switch off machines when, when you're not needing the processing. I think that's a big part of our um, sort of ongoing process of, of optimizing things. That kind of leads into our next question, um, talking about audio over IP. Like how have you seen uh, audio over IP kind of change, you know, what is capable in these spaces um, and especially kind of getting into building 3D sound systems and kind of, you know, the wider variety of contexts within those spaces. There's so many ways of doing it now. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's great that you can use just standard analog speakers and have uh, an ordinate AVO that is just sort of Dante in audio, analog audio out. Um, the main benefit in, in this is that um, we need less cabling um, or cheaper cabling uh, and we can leverage existing infrastructure in buildings because for the most part a lot of existing uh, you know whether it's an office space or a uh, or a studio environment usually there's there's some cat5 cat6 you know there's something with an rj45 connector on it and that means that we can send you know hundreds of channels down a single connection um, and then break that out. So that has gained us so much flexibility. So when you're then talking about a, a remote gallery that's playing back to a you know a fourth order ambi room, you're basically talking about putting in the speakers that you want in the positions that you want, much cheaper infrastructure, and um, and hosting it all off a network switch. And and with that kind of IP base and, and digital signal chain tends to mean that there's some DSP involved, and that that gives us the ability to either manually input some calibration and, and um, get the whole array kind of singing in unison or uh, utilizing more automated processes, um, which are becoming increasingly prevalent as well. There's kind of three main calibrations, I guess. There's there's like the fully proprietary, like a, a GLM system where it's automated. It's all Genelec ecosystem. Um, it's relatively quick and, and sort of user-friendly. Big benefit there is if you're doing a, a research installation where you're trying different arrays of loudspeakers or di different positioning of loudspeakers uh, or moving room, it's uh, a much quicker process to, to getting those speakers all behaving as an array. Then you get, again, automated systems, but that aren't... Uh, that, that are loudspeaker agnostic let's say so so like a trinov where it's it's still got its own mic it plays sounds through it it goes through a calibration process that is predominantly automated um similar to sonar works i guess is a more software implementation of of that same process and you know kind of a wizard you know guides guided through the process and then you've got that kind of third tier which isn't 
necessarily as accessible, where it's a more manual process of kind of measurement, analysis, interpretation on that to to apply correction on uh, you know levels, delays, uh, and on equalization to uh, to achieve the same goal really as, as as the other two processes. But it's just so required in in uh, in multi-channel. It's it's amazing in the music um, space where we're so used to uh, you know stereo and the speakers are the speakers and the room is the room. But the the placement of those speakers makes such a difference. The design of the room makes such a difference. Um, the speakers themselves, you know, anechoically will be doing one thing and in that room do something very different. And um, so it's it's amazing now when we, we uplift these studios from stereo to to immersive. The the difference that you can make on on the stereo performance of of those speakers, um, for good or for bad. How important is to collaborate with yourselves? a engineering team who install and tune the systems versus going the the classic DIY route, which might be more cost effective or fun for certain. Um, and we're all guilty of that. Um, but really often lacks uh, a level of optimization that can affect the performance of the system further down the line. I guess it's, um, it's one of those things that you can do everything um, kind of in a fitting to different costs, different um, expectations, different deadlines. That's always going to dictate what can be achieved and how easily and, and, and what that end result is then going to be. You know, there's there's nothing quite like having a dedicated acoustician who can really make sure that your, your room's going to perform and, and not just from sort of getting rid of outside influence of, of other noise or, or you yourself disturbing others, but, um, but getting it as consistent and, and a nice environment. That said, there's there's a lot of things that are iterative, and you know you start with stereo and you build to five one, and then you find that in five one you you're engaging parts of the room more, so you need a bit more acoustic treatment, and you get into maybe some modular stuff like the acoustic bits or or some sort of kits of of parts to to help that. Later, when you get into a full immersive, it again just engages the room so much more if you've got a dozen or more speakers pointing at different angles that. That the rooms aren't necessarily designed for. I think with any of these bits, it's always worth asking the question and doing your research. And and um, you know sometimes that's going to be a full DIY approach. And we've got a number of freelancers who over lockdown completely converted their their garage or garden shed or or some room in the house to be um, you know really practical, comfortable, and and good sounding. Um, studio environment. Equally, we're, we're dealing with studios that are doing big theatrical stuff where it's, you know, we might be specifying some of the bits, but we're working with, uh, you know, Dolby or similar to to end up with that, that end result being a ultimately a consistent calibration that means that whatever content's being produced there, you can make accurate creative and engineering decisions and know that it's going to translate into other environments. Uh, and ultimately give the end user a good experience of of that. So I think that's you know, it's it's a bit of an open ended answer, I guess. But um, I'd say the more experience you can introduce to a decision, the better the decision you can make. Moving into the future, what's in store for HHB and also for you personally? For HHB, we um, I think many people may have heard that um, we got acquired recently. Um, or relatively recently, so um, getting to know 
all of our sort of new colleagues across the, the wider Midwich group. We've got a number of really cool projects on uh, this year. So I think the educational market is still going to be um, a big part of what we're doing in, uh, in 2024 um, with some really quite outrageous uh, designs as to what people are trying to achieve. And that it's, it's always great fun working on, um, you know, big projects and, and really bleeding edge um, kind of tech. Um, I think the Dante Cloud stuff uh, is going to be another. Uh, so Dante Connect is, is, is going to be a, a huge growth market um, on the broadcast side. For me personally, I think it's going to be um, hopefully getting out and catching up with a lot of clients who we haven't seen in a while. And uh, we haven't, I think training has been a, a huge part of what we've done at the tail end of last year. And, um, and uh, you know, over the years, we've, we've moved a lot of people from a lot of different um, sort of more hardware, multi-track editorial systems like um, Fairlight or um, Audiophile, Sadie, and uh, helped people move predominantly to Pro Tools, but not exclusively. Um, and so I, I actually have, I think, two dozen training dates booked up already. In, uh, and and training is always really enjoyable for me because it's, it's great to be able to sort of be um, in an environment imparting some knowledge with some people. And, and it's all bespoke, so it's really tailoring um, you know, the, the different facets of, of what we know and, and trying to speed people up or get them, um, working in a, in a new environment and, um, sort of being able to be spending the time being creative rather than being bogged down in the more mundane parts of the kind of editorial or workflow process and, uh, and hopefully lots more football. And what's the best way to find out more about yourself and the work you do? Um, so I guess um, the HHB blog is quite good at seeing what the team is up to. Um, there's usually a couple of installs a month where at least one of them will be something completely different. Um, that's a great way to to also see. We we try and stay on top of um, you know major product announcements from um, from not just the brands we work with, but just cool or really useful stuff. Um, you know, Audio Movers was a recent one that I was exposed to with their kind of spatial audio monitoring plugin. Um, we've been working with uh, sort of different ways of doing it via routing through Logic and, and a template in there. But, um, you know, it's so important to reference things on uh, in the environment that your end user is going to be listening to it. So being able to listen to spatial on headphones the way that Apple are going to deliver it was um, was a bit of a game changer. Um, back to the question, I guess um, LinkedIn is probably the the other route to see um, some of the projects more specifically that I'm on and and um, some of the other sort of industry talks and education posts and, and bits that um, that I have a passion for. What I would say is, um, you know, we, we've got head office in in Wilsdon with a seven one four Jenny system and, and loads of other toys. Uh, and, and we've got the Scrub uh, Genelec Experience Centre in, in Soho. Uh, it was t technically Fitzrovia, W1, uh, just, just off Oxford Street. There's We've got um, a link that we can share through that is kind of a, a book a demo um, campaign that uh, that we've got going on. Yeah, if, if you've got a project that's uh, that you've been thinking about um, to sort of look at an upgrade, dip your toe into immersive, um, try and demystify some of the the tools and the kit that that's around there. I'll have a listen to some of the fantastic speakers we've got in, in the room. 
um, yeah, feel free to reach out. We'd we'd love to speak with you. And and similarly, any uh, educational facilities that are that are looking to um, to sort of engage um, more, we're we're always very happy to to have that conversation because I think it's it's so important um, at the minute. There's there's a complete sort of lack of um, engineers and and talent, and and we've really we've been very lucky with the the relationships we have with with many of these um, sort of educational institutions and and uh, several of our engineers. So Lucas, who did um, who did your install, uh, although he um, he came highly recommended from the University of South Wales, where we had done a, a Dolby Atmos install probably six, seven years ago. I think we need talent. Uh, this industry is growing, and um, it's also not the most diverse. Um, and and the only way to to improve that is to get more people interested in in sound earlier in their life, and um, and try and nurture that talent. What piece of advice could you give? that helped you in your career? Another great question. Um, I would say, um, f- for me personally, um, people in audio, um, are, it's a passion, right? Um, and it's also a relatively small industry. Um, I think it's so important to, um, to be out in, you know, to be accessible and to be communicating with everyone. And, and, and um, I think, you know, being a friendly face and, and trying to help people has always been, you know, I, I grew up doing the tech support side more so than the, the sales or product side and, and still continue to. And I think it's um, it's so important to, to be there to look after people. And I think, yeah, that and, and working hard at it. And, you know, sometimes you have to really go the extra mile and stay late and uh, and, and get that thing fixed. Um, but there's there's always someone that's going to be very, very grateful that you did that. And um and that's going to get you the, the level of sort of, you know, respect and recommendations and, and opportunities that um, I feel have, have kept me in this industry for as long as I've been here. JJ, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for talking to us today. Thank you so much. Yeah, cool. Thanks for your time. It's been brilliant. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott. Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.